Good morning. It's always a joy and privilege to worship the Lord together with you and to share from God's word. Let's commit this time to the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and gracious Redeemer. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians in recent weeks, and we've seen how in the opening chapters of Ephesians, essentially from chapters 1 to 3, where Ephesians paints a picture of what God accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ. As we look at chapter 4 today, the big idea for today is that God builds up all believers who belong to a single body of Christ. Previously, we have seen how God works through Jesus Christ to form a holy people, a people consisting of both Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles, that is the non-Jews, who were once considered outsiders and apart from God, have been now saved by grace and not by works, as Pastor Shen shared a few weeks ago. Brother Carming then shared how we should always remember what God has done for us, how we were once not part of God's people, but now have been brought into the family of God. This is an astonishing mystery that has now been revealed through Jesus Christ, as Brother Giamlan shared last week. It was once unthinkable how non-Jews, how those who are not part of Israel, can become the people of the God of Israel. In the past, many assumed that in order to be part of Israel, one had to become a Jew, subject to the law of Moses. But now non-Jews are coming into the family of God on the basis of faith, believing trust in Jesus the Messiah, God's Son. In and through Jesus then, both Jews and Gentiles are now inheritors of God's promises and salvation. So the first three chapters are simply breathtaking in terms of the scope and glory of what God has accomplished for us through Jesus Christ. Starting in chapter 4, Paul is trying to bring this glorious reality to ground-level practical realities for God's people. Previously, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul uses the term holy temple to describe God's people to emphasize the reality of God's dwelling presence with his people. In our reading of chapter 4 today, Paul will use the term body of Christ to emphasize the essential unity of God's people who live and serve under the Lordship of Christ as the head of the body. There are three core aspects of how God works to build up the body of Christ that we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. First, identity. God shapes a common shared identity for us in Christ. Second, incorporation. God incorporates us That is, he brings us into his family of believers, which Paul calls the body of Christ. Third, impact. God equips the church for impact in building up the body of Christ. First, identity. A shared identity forms the basis of our unity. 
Paul covers the fundamental aspects of this identity in the opening verses of Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 1, he writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The Christian life is a call, a gracious invocation or even summons from God to come to him through his son, Jesus. As we have seen in previous chapters, the call we receive is part of God's astonishing work of salvation where the riches of his grace and mercy are revealed through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. For everyone who placed their trust in Jesus, God's calling to a new life forms their new identity. They are to be identified by the fact that they have been called by God. To be more specific, the way in which they live out their calling will mark them out as God's people. That's why Paul says, live a life worthy of your calling. Our lives must match up to the glory of our calling in Christ. Now, we might think that to be worthy means that the church should have far-reaching, ambitious plans or programs, activities and building projects. That people might come to admire us for the success or prominence of these programs or projects. Or at a more personal level, perhaps we might think that Christians achieve a level of professional or business success or social status in order to be considered as worthy of our calling and identity as Christians. But Paul does not mention any of these, important as they might be in certain contexts with the right foundation and the right motivation. But Paul does not mention any of what we might consider key success factors. Here is how Paul describes a life worthy of our calling in chapter 4, verse 2 to 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If you want to identify those who have been called by grace, the word of the Lord says to look for these aspects of their community life. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, and keeping the unity of the same spirit that lives in us through our shared bond of peace. Paul expands this further in Galatians chapter 5, where he describes the fruit of the spirit that gives evidence of God's grace at work in the lives of believers. I was talking to a Christian parent the other day. She was telling me about her experience of sending her children to Chinese schools. She related one experience where she and her son were buying, buying food from a food store. And the store owner then said to her, your son must be studying in Chinese school. She was surprised. I don't think the son spoke uh, any Chinese to the store owner at this point. And so the parent asked the owner, how did you know? The owner said, by the way, the son nodded politely when the owner thanked him after concluding the sale. Uh, the way he did that showed that he has been taught uh, in the Chinese school environment. In this case, then, the way students are taught about cultural politeness and respect for elders in the Chinese school environment forms part of their identity. Their behavior 
identifies them as being part of that particular community or school environment. Likewise, the way believers live their lives in community with one another identifies their identity or defines their identity in Christ. A church could have the best programs in the world and the largest budgets, but without humility, gentleness, love, and the bond of peace and shared unity through the Holy Spirit, we are not walking in a way that is worthy of our calling. But this way of living in love, humility, peace, and unity is not an attempt to form a moral society or practice an abstract philosophy. Our way of living is grounded in our core beliefs that come from our experience of God. In other words, we live the way we do in response to what God has done for us and how God is still working in us and through us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 to 6, we see these core beliefs. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These are our core beliefs. Again, not because of some moral philosophy, but concretely because this is how God has revealed himself and how we have experienced God. Paul outlines three stages of these beliefs. First, we are called into one unified body that is formed and indwelt by one spirit who gives lives, who gives new life, and with one common hope. Elsewhere, we can see this hope being described, for example, in Romans chapter 8, as being glorified with Christ, receiving the inheritance that God has prepared for his people. Second, this spirit-filled body of believers holds to the following fundamental ways which God has worked. That there is one and only one, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is not one of alternative or equivalent options. He is the only one. He is for us the way, the truth, and the life, to quote from John's Gospel. There is no other way to God except through his son, Jesus. We have been saved by no other name except through the name of Jesus. We exercise a single faith, a single fundamental allegiance and loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. The means which we express our faith and allegiance to Christ is through the one baptism by which we enter and experience the new life that God gives to us. Third and above all, God the Father, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. God's unimaginable greatness and sovereignty over all that exists deserve no less than our undivided worship and submission. To recap, God builds us by giving us a shared identity that is based on a shared calling in Christ, a community life marked out by the fruit of the Spirit, and fundamental core beliefs. I'd like to invite you to spend a few moments uh, now on our first reflection question. 
What does having a shared identity with someone mean to you? Why is a shared identity important for the church? And for the kids, why do you think Jesus wants us to worship together and take care of one another as Christians? I'll see you in two minutes. Second, God builds us by incorporating us into the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul envisions Christians as part of one body of Christ, where each part works in love to build one another up under Christ. Now, although we are all part of the same body, we have a rich diversity in personalities, gifts, and service. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and the overall equipping of members for works of service. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same law. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Although the church itself would often find itself in adversity, persecution and uncertainties, it will continue to remain strong if all members work together for the common good in the various giftings and act in loving concern for one another. Many of you uh, would know or have studied about Dr. Sun Yat-sen, 
a Chinese national leader in the early 20th century who worked for China's reform from the last stages of the Qing dynasty when a nation was weak and dominated by foreign powers. Dr. Sun also worked tirelessly among overseas Chinese communities, including Penang and Singapore, to gather funds and support against the Qing dynasty or the Qing government. Eventually, the Qing dynasty was overthrown in the 1911 revolution, and Dr. Sun Yat-sen became the first provisional president of the Republic of China. Unfortunately for the new republic, the nation soon tore itself apart with warring military warlords, with the result that various warlords controlled different regions of the country. In 1923, Dr. Sun gave a speech in which he recounted that in all the years of revolutionary effort, they worked without regard to consequences, by which Dr. Sun probably means that they were working in unity with a common goal. But when this was accomplished, they were at a loss how to carry out the work of reconstruction. reconstruction. He continues, and I quote, In former days, our failure was not so much due to the fact that we had powerful enemies as to the fact our mind and discernment were immature. This caused senseless misunderstandings between ourselves, scattering the whole power of our party and resulting in the very failure of the revolution. We were not destroyed by our enemies. We destroyed ourselves. What is true in the struggle for national unity is even more so in the life of the church, the body of Christ. We must not let ourselves be our own worst enemies. As mentioned earlier, we could have the best and brightest talent and the most impressive programs. But if we do not have unity, if we do not have humility, gentleness, compassion for one another, we lose our core identity and cease to function as God intends. And all our strengths, gifts and talents will be dissipated into disunity and disservice to one another. Yes, there will be always areas of disagreements and different opinions. And we have to make space for spiritual discipline and correction. But as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, we are to speak with truth in love, in matters of doctrinal teachings, and in verses 25 to 26, in matters of community relationships, we are to speak truthfully, but do not let anger fester. Love always seeks the good of the other person. Love builds up even if difficult truths need to be addressed. Satan, the dark powers and rulers are not impressed or afraid by church programs that look good on the outside, but lack unity and strength on the inside. But the dark powers tremble when believers come together as one body under one Lord, empowered by one spirit for the glory of the one God and Father of all. Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christian unity is based on this. The more we have of the fullness of Christ, the less we have of our egos and selfishness. Christ must increase and our self-centeredness must decrease. As a reflection question, what are practical ways we can demonstrate that we are members of the same body? And for the kids, why do you think Jesus calls all Christians his family? In what ways can we treat our Christian friends as family? I'll see you in a moment. God builds us for impact through his gifting. Now, God does this, first of all, through the foundational empowerment based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message, teachings, and the life, death, and resurrection of Christ remain central to the life of the church. This gospel message is not just about teaching truth. It is God's power to transform lives and form a renewed people of God. This is the core gospel message that is established by the apostles, revealed through the prophets, spread by evangelists, upheld in the lives of God's people under pastors, and explained consistently by teachers. This is not a human-based effort. As Ephesians chapter 4, 11 says, it is Christ himself who calls and commissions the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
This is sometimes called the fivefold ministry. And Christ commissions and gives the church these ministries to establish, nurture, and protect the foundational truths of the gospel in the lives of his people. These ministries both strengthen and expand the transforming work of the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul says that these ministries are meant to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. In other words, the foundational empowerment of the gospel message through the fivefold ministry is meant for the functional equipping of God's people for the work of the kingdom. The picture is, is not then a small group of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers doing all the work, but that all will be equipped and empowered to serve in the body of Christ. The source of this power, the source of power for this gifting and equipping is from the Holy Spirit. Referring to spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Each gift in the life of a Christian is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. When you serve humbly in your spiritual gifting, the Holy Spirit works through you to impact others and build up the body of Christ. So serving in the body of Christ is not a talent competition. Neither is it about self-satisfaction or self-fulfillment. It is fundamentally about building others up with the transforming power of the gospel, which speaks about God's redeeming love and grace. When serving becomes a talent competition and all about self-satisfaction, then we may inadvertently have people down instead of building them up. Or we may tend to avoid difficult situations and sacrificial service because the cost is too high. But once we remember that the we remember the sacrificial love of Christ for us and experience the manifestation of the Holy Spirit through us, then we'll be able to work and serve in unity for the body of Christ. There is no scheming power, no persecution, no pandemic that can overturn the impact of such a Christ-centered, spirit-filled church. And so for our last reflection question, have you an idea of the spiritual gifting God has given you? Are you serving in that gifting today? And for the kids, what kind of talent or gift would you ask God for?
in conclusion, know that God builds us as the body of Christ. Be growing in maturity and impact for Christ and live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received. At this time, I'd like to pray for us, for those who would like to rededicate our lives and our gifts for the Lord's work. Some of this work will be to show love and care at home for your family. Some will be focused on the workplace or in schools. Others will be in church-based ministries. But fundamentally, we are dedicating ourselves to love and build the body of Christ wherever the Lord has placed us and whatever he has prepared for us to do. Let us quieten our hearts before the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in all our weakness and imperfections. Some of us have been hurt in the body of Christ. Some of us have been offended. Some of us have caused hurt or offense in one way or another. For some, we have either neglected or misused the gifting you have given us. Many of us here, Lord, face trials, anxieties, and burdens of various kinds. We are weighed down so much, we cannot imagine how it means to live in the power of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ. Lord, you know that in so many ways, we are a broken and imperfect people. In all of our many mistakes, sins and offenses, have mercy on us. Forgive us, gracious Lord. Cleanse us from our sin and heal us of our transgressions. For those who have been hurt, please bring healing and restoration. For any broken relationships, please bring reconciliation and forgiveness. And in all our brokenness and trials, fill us again, Lord, with the assurance of your unfailing love and transforming grace. Be the strength and fortress of your people as we look to you for wisdom, for healing and deliverance. And as a restored and forgiven people, loving Father, we offer ourselves anew to Christ Jesus, our Lord. We might not know how, where or in what way you will call us, but many here, Lord, are opening their lives to you right now. Fill them, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit and let the manifestation of the Spirit impact their lives as you build them to impact the lives of others. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and all of your family in the coming week.